0: people think we just had this great service and so oh oh I think they I think they caught me saying that so could you edit that please this morning we uh, we welcome all of you who are joining us you know it's such a it's it's such an encouragement and thrill for me to see people who are hearing what we're saying and and feel like they're part of us and and even though they're as we say their butt can't be here their buck can you know a their heart is here as grandpa Jones used to say heart 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 and uh and just appreciate those that feel like they're like i say part of us and those of that want to help us to continue to help right the tragic wrong that was happened that happened at the spoiling and the the perversion of the true gospel that took place and and like I say, we're trying to restore those things that at the end of this Gentile age that the Gentiles so perverted. So we appreciate your financial help. We appreciate your prayerful help. And, uh, and you know, we don't mind words of encouragement either. So this morning, we're going to go right on. If you can go ahead, uh, Doug will put the information on the, the screen there for those that are wanting to help us and give uh, an enter to a, those that want to even get a deeper relationship with us through their tithes and offerings. This morning, I want to go ahead and begin the message. I've got a feeling that I'm not going to get through this today. I've been trying to do something recently, and I've been doing pretty good. I've been trying to do what, say all i got to say in an hour. I failed to do that, but I'm saying, you know, I'm, I'm satisfied with what I'm saying, but I know it's so incomplete. It's not easy to cause a person's mind to be renewed with truth with just an hour a week it's just it's just difficult and you know the cares of life come in and choke out these things in us Uh, one of the reasons that one one of the things that when yeshua left and he gifted me with this uh, responsibility to help you to know apostolic doctrine he left you with giftings to help the ecclesia do things also, and I want to discuss something. I hope that last week you understood when I talked about the one hundred forty-four thousand, what that means. And I don't want to defend it with people who know a little bit about stuff. You know, it's it's difficult to argue with somebody who who only knows a little bit of stuff. There's nothing to me. Bold ignorance is one of the the. Uh, craziest things I ever heard. You can have somebody that's just so ignorant they don't know it. You know, it's just like a guy that, that you know, he, he's got ca- uh, spinach on his teeth and he's trying to impress somebody. And he, ha- he has expensive teeth and got all these, uh, uh, what do you call them? Not implant, but the veneers and all that. And they're white. but he got this big old green piece of, piece of spinach there. So I, I, it, I have it and, and I understand that, you know, one of the people that agrees with me in what I'm preaching was a guy named Sir Isaac Newton. Believe it or not, he'd studied more. He studied the scriptures more than he did math. That's pretty amazing. And I love what his response was. And I've used it many times. I've said, sir, I have studied these things. You have not. And if people have the ability, you know, if you've met me I don't think it's just for a a reason of that it's my luckiest day in the world to be able to meet you. You know, I tell people that I went to kindergarten with, I'm actually Facebook friends with my first grade teacher. And I'm still mad at her because she was Miss Musselwhite before Christmas break, and she came back with another name, Gorski, after Christmas. She married a a military guy out of Fort Benning, and uh, I refuse to call her that. She's Miss Muscle White to me to this day. I'm like, I ain't doing, I was, I was mad at her. But here she is. Now, is my relationship to her in, as my first grade teacher so I could learn to write or read, I should say? I think it goes beyond that. I may be, and that relationship with that little toe-headed boy that was in her class at the time in those Quonset huts at Rosemont Elementary School, it could be that I am the link for her, to have somebody that could preach the true gospel to her. So I say, look, let, what is our, my relationship with you really about? And what is your relationship to me really about? If it doesn't bring forth something eternal, then it's kind of just not necessary. I mean, it's necessary to be happy in life, I guess. You know, and that's all relevant. So this morning... I want to talk to you about something that probably isn't going to be preached in any pulpit in America, probably. Okay? And I pray already that God will give me and you the grace to tolerate each other this morning. Because what I'm going to say to you, if you'll listen, will confirm some things in your head and speak to you. And it'll help you receive some of the things that maybe I'm teaching that, you, that, that maybe you haven't heard before. See, the Bible was written in the Old Testament. It's written in Hebrew. How many of you know that? So it's Yeshua was a Hebrew. He wasn't an American. Had a friend of mine from Georgia said that God was on Georgia's side. I'm like, even God can't help that team right there. I tell you right, it just Son, you didn't are you I'm glad to see you made it to church today. That's why I'm done with them. I'm done with them. Y'all excuse me, I got it in the flesh there a minute. So we see that these this Hebrew God with a Hebrew, listen to me, a people, not a person, a people. That's one of the lies that we've had, that we have an individual personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That's baloney. You have to initiate that, but that relationship is for the purpose to bring you to be a people who are not a people. wrote a song about it. You want me to sing it? I was going to sing it, but Joel wouldn't let me this morning. I have the book of Revelation. Yeshua, sure you are worthy to receive honor and glory, for we are a people who are not a people. He's called them out of, out of every kindred tongue and nation. So anything individual should be understood from us. To, it's only in the aspect of how we fit into a big, only a part of a big picture. That is the bride, New Jerusalem, a city, uh a body. I mean, the Bible just goes on and on and on and on. And all these analogies, you know, a tribe. I mean, all these things, you know, a kingdom. I can go on and on. The whole Bible is full about who God is, that God, if there's only one uncreated one, that's, that's the great El, the Bible calls him. The Elohim are plural. They're the angels. They're the ones who are Yeshua. I mean, Yahweh is, is the God who is the will in the middle of the will. But there's only one uncreated one. Everything else was created in by him and for him and for his pleasure, including Yahshua, who has been invited, or I mean, who qualified in the second or the new creation because the earth wasn't filled with God's glory after the first Adam but he's going to fill the earth with his glory again. What? A people who have the, are the express image of his character and the brightness of his glory. And the earth will be, will be restored, not by growing more trees. And I'm not against that. Not by picking up all the litter. And I'm all for that. But by a people who are like him. Hey, listen to this. This is amazing. He's the father. And guess what we are? Family. We're the Family part. So we have this individual relationship with God, but it's only for the purpose of becoming part of who God is and what God is. When people don't understand what God is and who God is, then they will never understand the purpose of God, and that is to reproduce himself in humans. That he will have a people, a family that are of his kind. You know, we're really all of the same family. Y'all know that? Humankind. Animals, they're of their kind. The plants are of their kind. We're talking about godlikeness, godliness, the God kind, and becoming like Him, not only in our character and all now, but ultimately coming to the crescendo and the end the, result of having a body that's eternal, that's Godlike. Never dying is Godlike. You hear what I'm saying? So that's the promise of God, to have part of His kingdom. And the Bible is filled of all of these things that tell us. And it's very simple. If you have somebody that can show you some things that takes years to understand, and Yahweh don't kiss, I mean, Yahshua don't kiss on the first date. We think, man, we walk down the aisle, okay, here I am. I give my heart to you. All right, it's a done deal. No, that's not true. That's, that's another one of the American lies. Johnny, aren't we saved by grace? I, yeah. I said, yeah, but it's through faith. Faith always produces works. So we are begotten by grace. In other words, what God did, He restored you and I, reconciled is the scriptural word. He reconciled us back to Him by His grace and mercy. Because you can't do anything to earn that spot. Now that He has given you a clean slate, now we've got to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. It's real simple. But the reason I talk about it so much is because the, that mindset has been ingrained in people so prevalently and we've spent years and years trying to perfect that model that if I can get you just to ask Jesus into your heart then everything's going to be okay. So that model has become its own religion like Cain. The reason Cain, listen I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to try to get to this today. The reason that Cain's offering was not accepted. I was going to write a book entitled you can't get blood out of a turnip the blood sacrifice everybody thinks that's about just about you know jesus died on the cross he shed his blood for us us of our sins there's something that's another analogy that i'm going to try to get to today i was going to title this did i say it even should i even say it doug uh, let's see how i want to handle this but <laughs> we always do hey listen to this this is what i was going to title this the bloody sheet Now, you know, I have some people get mad at me when I talk real to them, and they like, I'll tell you what, that offends me. Well, I've heard you talk. I've heard you talk to your buddies, and I've heard you talk to people, and I heard you gossip, and I heard you unforgive. You know, let me tell you what the Bible says. It's just like when I wrote the song Where Are the Fathers in 1980, whatever it was, three, and I used the term bastard children. I had about four. Guys out of the denomination I used to be a part of tell me I shouldn't be using profanity. I'm like, dude, I'm quoting the Apostle Paul. You take it up with him one day. A bastard is nothing but a tear. It looks like wheat. It grows with wheat, but it has no fruit, but looks just like it. So you have that individual relationship, but house number one is what we call it. There it is right there. The house, the house, the house. House number two is the domestic realm, marriage. And I believe that one of the most idolatrous things in America today is the worship of family. Now, is the individual life important? Of course it is. Is the family important? Of course it is. But only as it relates to and prepares us for and places us in the, per- the will of- that God has for us, and that's called the body, the ecclesia, the family, the kingdom, the church. We could go on and on. What the purpose of God is, if the individual life and the family life preempts ecclesial life, it's idolatry. Anything that comes before God and His will are idols. It could be a, it could be anything. My little granddaughter told me the other day about this girl, a singer. She's that's my idol. I said, No, it ain't either. <laughs> No, it ain't no. It ain't. Y'all want to be just like her? No, why don't you just be you, the best you, because you're way, you'll be way better than her. No, I, I. She's my, she's my idol. I said, okay, let me tell you something. Now, huh? you're gonna walk home in a minute. All right, I'm prepping you up for this. I want to talk about. What did I title this, Doug? A marriage supper. That's easier than bloody sheep. But I believe bloody sheep would have got a lot more hits, don't you? All through the Bible, God has covenants. Everybody thinks the Old Testament is out of date and it's no good for anything. Even though Tim Paul told Timothy that the word of God is good for rebuke, correction, instruction in righteousness and doctrine. Let me tell you what he's talking about. He's talking about the Old Testament. There was no New Testament when he wrote that to Timothy. The New Testament are the Gospels of the, uh, the Synoptic Gospels, the, the, the uh, writings of four of the apostles and mostly Paul. They were just letters that he wrote. The true scriptures were the Old Testament, and I know that flies in the face because people don't understand. I gotta tell you, the first tattoo I ever got made the newspaper in Ocala. Local pastor gets tattooed. I remember, we had a a dinner out at Camp Kiwanis after church. Had a and I had on. Uh, tank top and I had my tattoo my first tattoo you know how many I got. you know your business it's not it's not a secret it just ain't everybody's business if I have underwear on today or not true hey y'all need to loosen up here because I'm fixing to get real serious okay get you laughing over with right now so this is what this is what happened she came up to me and she said what is that I said, what she Man, we had all kind of good food, man. People brought good food. Gloria had all her stuff there, and people brought stuff. It was, she had a plate full of food, man, and somebody brought boiled shrimp. Everybody likes boiled shrimp, man. She got her, her helping and, I think, mine. She was sitting there, she said, what is that? I said, what? She said, what's that? I said, it's a tattoo. She said, well, you know what the Bible says about that, don't you? I said, yeah. Do you know what it says about that? She said, yeah. I said, what does it say? It says, don't get them. I said, where does it say that at in the Bible? Where at Old Testament? Where? I said, I know. She said, it's in there. I said, well, I know where it's at too. And that ain't what it says. I said, but it's in there and it's right next to don't eat shrimp. <laughs> because under the Levitical covenant, you couldn't eat shrimp. Thank God. You can't even have pork ribs. I'd have to resign this morning. There's all these covenants. There's the Adan- Edenic, Adamic, Sinaitic, Levitical, Mosaic, I mean, Davidic. We can go on and on of all. Those are just the main ones. But there's always these covenants that God had with his people. And listen, we, if we don't understand that, we think that we may be under something. When, when Paul was told to go to Macedonia, just because the Bible says, go ye to Macedonia, and you took that verse out, that don't mean you have to go. That wasn't written for you. And to be ignorant of the Scriptures, which I was for many years, because I really didn't need to study the Scriptures. I could just preach little sermons and, or whatever. And the reason today why people are led by the Spirit and say the Spirit told them something is because they're too lazy to search the Scriptures. It's not a casual thing. So let me say this this morning. I know I'm not going to get done now. There's all these different covenants, and they explain the process of how salvation is ultimately achieved. We call it getting your well done. It's coming to the place where you get your you you are rewarded a immortal body. It's called a crown of life. Now, I, I, I don't want to get into all. I've got teachings and teachings on on immortality and all that kind of stuff. So we have these these. All these different covenants that have that have come that sh- and these they show us a process. You know, it's just like the uh, the seven baptisms: baptism into repentance, water, the Holy Spirit, fire, body, suffering, the cloud. Those are seven baptisms that people never even they, they have never even heard of them. But it's a process of how the Bible metaphorically is teaching us. And the Bible says that all of the Old Testament is for our benefit. So us to learn the way unto eternal life. Of course, it got watered down and, you know, now nobody cooks real popcorn anymore. It's all jiffy. It ain't even jiffy pop no more. It's, it's that horrible microwave popcorn that I'll tell you, if you don't put something on it, it's like eating styrofoam. Can I get an amen from somebody? That's why I don't go to the movies anymore because I get sick eating real popcorn. With, and she puts a squirt of butter and I say, hit me. Hit me. No, no, no. Hit me. I'll tell you what, just give me a medium butter. Are y'all with me? Take a popcorn, take a swig of butter, man. I'm telling you right now. Just sick. You just get sick. So we got these covenants. All right, let me get into this. I got you laughing. You're in a good mood. I'm going to close the deal now. The blood covenant. And what I'm really going to talk about here, because we're talking about the bride of Christ. What that really is, what the church, the bride, the body, the, the people, the one body, the one, you know, uh, all of that That's what I'm talking about. So the Hebrew marriage, the reason that God made marriage is for the purpose of replenishing the earth is what He wanted to do initially, but it's to show us and a microcosm of what Christ in the church in Ephesians, what's it say? Husbands love your wives, grace goes the church. Wives love your husbands and submit yourselves to your own husband. Blah blah, you know. And I'm not blah blah. And that is it, not an important. But it says this. But yet I speak concerning Christ and His church. The mystery of marriage is about Christ and the church to show you about how it works between Christ and the ecclesia. So the blood covenant was one that. You begin with entering to a relationship of servanthood. And in that process, we learn how to walk in obedience and commandments. Because I told you this, look, our goal is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and mind and strength. Because there is no other power or commitment. Okay, I tell you what, I'm going I'm to quit smoking and I'm going to start serving God today. You ain't got the power to do it. But if you love God, love is what will empower you to do anything. It's the most powerful power, there, powerful force in the universe. It'll make you take a grenade, as we said last week. That's a song. You'll lay down your life for somebody you love in a minute without thinking. And there was another covenant. Remember, Joel, remember that song I wrote years ago? From a servant into sonship, from a son I'll be your friend. I will ever love and serve you till, till the very end. But it had verses too, didn't it? I'm going to have to find that CD. Do you remember that? I didn't realize that that was actually covenants when I wrote that song. I knew the process with God wasn't just, okay, I'll take you just like that. There it is. There's a process That God's working in people. There was a blood covenant when you entered into this relationship, and it had to do with serving. Then there's what's called the salt covenant, and it explains a perpetual covenant of friendship. And then there was one called the sandal covenant. So we've got the blood, the salt, and the sandal. And it was also called the covenant of inheritance. And so what they did, this ancient Hebrew custom, uses sandals. Uh, back in the day, I mean, I, talk, I, I don't know if you all remember me talk, preaching on the shoe, the, you know, the sandal. That, that was years ago. But what this does, this has to do with boundaries and placing boundaries. That sandal, you know, you would even throw a, a shoe at somebody, and it had significance. So let's take human parenting. It, it's the equivalent of a parent who does a good job of training up that child. How? obediently blood covenant and then hopefully the child will develop into friendship salt covenant and then that son or daughter who comes into full maturity and becomes a listen responsible adult eventually will qualify for the sandal covenant or an inheritance you ever heard of somebody not giving their kids an inheritance And left them out of the wheel because they were so stupid? Why didn't daddy leave me nothing? Cause you're too stupid. These covenants, these relationships, this process that progresses from, from that blood covenant to the salt covenant and then to the sandal covenant is really house number two teaching you what house number three is going to be like. It ain't just to have good kids. But yet it includes that, and I'm not demeaning or slandering anything about the family and about marriage and children raising and all that. But that's not the all in all. Let me tell you what kids are going to do. They'll leave you. They're going to live their own life. Get over it. It's just going to happen, except some of them even if they haven't left town or whatever, they have to have their own life. They have to have their own problems. They have to have their own situations. They have to pay their own rent. They have to pay their own light bill. Are y'all getting my point? I need some amens on that one. So we have this parenting thing. But it's not where effective parenting begins. If you start by being your child's friend instead of training them or her in obedience, you got the whole thing backwards. I was saying something the other day. There's nothing worse than having a dog that hadn't been discipled. Then Irwin reminded me Wednesday night as we were sharing some of these things and talking about it. He said, I was there the day that that happened to you. I rescued this dog and that dog. I brought it home, and as soon as I let it out of the car into the backyard, that dog got out of a fence yard and was gone to never be seen again. (laughs) And I want to tell you, there's nothing worse when you call a dog and they ignore you. There's nothing worse. Droopy. It wouldn't. Droopy wouldn't do it, would he, Chester? (laughs) Chester's daddy didn't put up with that. And then you start to chase them, and you realize even as a young man, you can outrun a dog. And if you did, you wouldn't have the strength to choke it to death when you got there. That's a figure of speech. Jeez. This is how it works with our evolving relationship with Yahweh. This ain't a one deal. Boom, boop, one night stand. How many of you know that we all agree that a man going to have a one night stand is wrong? Yet in church, we promote it. Come in and rent the church for an hour. Got your one night day stand or whatever. Boom, out the door. You're saved now. The relationship offered by each of these preceding covenants is the only thing that makes the next level possible. All this leads to a major point. As we enter into each renewed or new covenant with Yahweh, we don't leave behind the responsibilities or the benefits of the previous one. Just because we're not telling you that you shouldn't you shouldn't, you know, do something at this level because we're, we've moved on to this level, you still shouldn't do this. Oh, okay, well, I don't have to do that no more because I guess... No, we're adding to all of this... Points, these covenants are a metaphoric whole world and a culture to show us and point us to the final covenant, which is called betrothing or betrothal. The most intimate relationship that we can enter into with God through his son Yeshua. People ask me, why don't I, when I pray, nothing happens? Because there's nothing happening. With your relationship with God. The Bible says the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Well, I tithe and I go to church. Yeah, okay, you, you got step one. Servanthood, Do, you're, you're obedient. There's more coming into a place that we must love God. And you don't just wake up one day and say, I love God. These covenants point to this progressive nature of our purification, of our relationship, and with ultimately our partnership our being one with God and being part God. I know people go crazy with that. Johnny, you're saying you're a little God? Well, even though the Yahshua told the Jews, he said, Don't y'all know your gods? He's, what he was telling them that you've become part of a God family. So if you if my name is Snell Grove and you become part of the Snell Grove, your name becomes You become a Snell Grove. When you become into the relationship with God, then you become a God. You understand what I mean? Not the uncreated one. I'm not talking about that. But we know that the, the issue of coming and becoming begotten, and your sins being forgiven, all the th- sins your past washed away, and you become a new creation. Everything becoming new. We're not born or begotten by that. Yeshua provided that through His sacrifice. Then in John chapter 13, verses 4 through 14, the Last Supper in that upper room, this is what Yeshua did. Now listen to me. He offered them the kingdom. I wonder what that would be. Which covenant did I just teach you would be offering the kingdom to you? Offering your inheritance to you. The sandal covenant. How do you know that, Johnny? Well, look at what He did. He rem- Told them to take your sandals off. And he was going to wash their feet and give them and offer them an inheritance in his kingdom. Y'all hear me? Y'all hear me? Listen close. This may be new to you, it ain't new to me. But I thought it would be. I really felt pressed of of, uh, the Spirit of God was like pressing me to talk about this today. He was establishing this relationship of purity without any man-made barriers. And at the same time, fulfilling the promise in John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. Listen to what he did. He was giving them the power to become the sons of God. I just quoted a scripture. He gave them the power to become sons of God. That's inheriting the kingdom and ruling and reigning. He was establishing this relationship. And some of the the disciples, guess what they did? Just like I've had people do when I've had foot washings before. I had people, guys, look at me. Said, "New," no. and you know what? I appreciate. Once they took their shoes off, I said, "New." No. <laughs> they looked like the talons off a of, uh, red-tail hawk or something. I said, "Dude, what? I never seen quite that." It looks like it looks like he smoked with his toes. They were so yellow as <laughs> the and nicotine stains all over. <laughs> oh lighten up. He said this, and they refused the sandal covenant he said if I don't do this you're not gonna you'll have no part of me if you don't do this you'll have no part of me what the sandal covenant this process many people we've been taught in American Christendom that we we to get saved and have all the intimacy we'll ever need by just accepting the gift with no f no did no effort to us at all it's a free gift. We just sit there and get it. No wonder our culture today is full of people and who, are, who are brainwashed with entitlement. Because every Sunday morning, preachers all over America for many of years have preached nothing but entitlement. You get, no, you get all this and don't have to do nothing. Are y'all hearing me today? Yeah, it's been effective. Being begotten is just the beginning. It's only the first step toward establishing what God requires and desires, and that's intimacy. And I'm not talking about love American style, Walt Disney, Snow White, Kiss, kiss Sleeping Beauty, intimacy, that another thing that's been shoved down our throat that we've been trying to live up to in house number two. I said in house number two. Yeah. And that way we want it in house number three. Prince Charming. I mean, you guys know it's hard. That's hard to live up to, huh? And vice versa with our wives. At that moment, when we receive the blood covenant, he gives to each one of us the choice of increasing the maturity and the intimacy of our relationship with him. And many people miss it because they're told by pastors that it's a finished work. Then when Yeshua said it is finished, let me tell you what. What he was called and responsible to do was finished. He said it's finished. At that moment. Yahweh gives us this step-by-step increase of His kingdom in our lives if we choose to walk out what He has promised. That's called walking in faith. Walking in faith is believing the way that God said and then you doing it without ever quitting. We have to just move beyond and enter into deeper aspects of relationships with God corporately. Do you hear me? You just can't be right there in your little prayer closet and all alone. It flies in the face of the very thing that the Bible totally from the beginning, when he said, "Adam, it's not good for man. If God wanted just some people with personal relationship, why didn't He just leave Adam alone? We're going to leave you here by yourself. We're going to go somewhere else, make somebody else. We're faithful in the first step. He's going to, guess what he does? He reveals the next one to us. And the final step in the process of restoration is in the hand of the bridegroom, not the bride. The first phases are the bride, the bride's choices. You have to choose. I have to choose. We have to choose. But that last step is the groom's, whether he accepts or not. People talk about accepting Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. I said, you don't need to worry about that. You need to worry about if he's going to accept you. Okay. So he's got this thing he came up with called marriage. This is not a marriage seminar. This is an ecclesial seminar. Marriage is the ultimate fulfillment of all these covenants. Not house number two marriage, but what house number two marriage is symbolic of and a metaphor of and a pic- word picture of and a life picture of this. Because this is the ultimate expression. We know that people don't believe it because all love America, churches are empty today. And I'm not talking about just coming to church, but you gotta, you, know, you can't give if you're not here. Marriage is a relationship that Yahweh desires. Marriage and family. Not house number two marriage and family. He does desire that, but ultimately, it's to show us that he desires that type of love and relationship and commitment and service and love and faithfulness and and all those things. Marriage is supposed to give us an understanding of Yahweh's ways. He said about Moses, he said, hey, you know, the children of Israel, they know my acts, how I act, my acts and things I perform. But my man Moses, he knows my ways. I'm going to show him my ways. Everybody's looking for God to do something for them, but nobody cares about how, the ways of God. It has to do with loving somebody that you don't just want what they can do for you, but you care about them. talks about Yahshua removing those sandals and washing the disciples' feet and telling his disciples if they don't let them, they, gonna have, he, they would have no part. He say, look, okay. If you don't let me wash your feet, if you don't come into this, lab, this next phase called the sandal covenant, then guess what? You're not going to have any part of me. Matthew 19, 16 through 29. It makes complete sense. That rich man story. Yahshua is looking for someone who aspires to be a servant and a friend. A rich young ruler had blood covenant. And he didn't have sandal covenant. What was the second one? I can't think of it. Blood covenant. Huh? Salt. That's it. He had the salt cup, Blood covenant. Salt covenant. He had done that. He was a Christian, so to speak. Loved God. Obedient to his commandments. The Bible says he obeyed them all. He had that covenant down, didn't he? But he found it difficult to enter into Yahshua's offer of a deeper relationship. In other words, a place where you don't just stay here, but you move on, and you draw nigh to God. He basically said this to him. Yahshua was basically saying this. If I'm looking and understanding the covenants and purpose of Yahweh, he's basically saying, you're already my servant. I do all the commandments. You're always my servant. You are my friend. Now come and be my bride. He wasn't quite ready, though, to trade his inheritance, earthly inheritance, for Yahweh's eternal inheritance. Anyways, he wasn't ready to get married yet, right? You ever found somebody ready to get married yet? I see things on TV sometimes. Say, so, yeah, this is my fiance. Oh yeah, how long y'all been engaged? 27 years. I mean, God, the guy just don't wanna. He just don't wanna commit. Yeah, we've been engaged for 19 years. I'm gonna get her a ring. Jeez. This poor decision prevented him from entering into this deeper relationship and going any further than just being a friend of God, the salt covenant. I am a friend of God. You know, Joel, all these years I may have been wrong. Maybe they are just a friend of God, but refuse to mature and go on. Now listen to this. I taught this years ago in a different aspect. In the book of Revelation, chapter 3, verse 20. I gotta tell you, all my life I know that picture of that blonde-haired, blue-eyed Jesus. He knocking at a door, but yet posing. Look at the picture. Now I know that's how all the girls do it now. I do it now too. That's why you do it. Make you look skinnier. Well, heck, I'm gonna do both of them. Man. So he's he's at the door knocking, kinda, in the painting. And watch on the door. Have you ever noticed what's on that door? Doorknob, maybe? What else is on that door? Huh? Isn't a trick question. little peephole thing, you know, a little door. Who is it? All right, it's right. And that's accurate. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and I will supple him and he with me. How many times have you heard a preacher preach that at an altar call? I tell you what, you probably heard me do it a thousand times. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. I mean, it's just an easy picture to remember and a verse to remember, and it's an easy invitation to get saved. And people have been taught, I was taught this way, that the verse is to be, that that was Yahshua's voice reaching out to mankind. I'm knocking at the door of your heart to let me in. Will you let me? Let me in. He wants to come in and save you from your sins. That's when I was more ignorant than I am today. Because that is not what that scripture even has anything to do with. Now, if I'm going to be a Christian, I'm going to study the Bible, I want to know what all this stuff means. There's stuff I've read before in the Bible, I just kind of have to blink over it because I don't know what that means. Hither, thither, wither, shither, you know what I mean? You know what I mean? I mean, it just goes on and on and all the King James stuff. because because people don't have the awareness of what the culture of God's people. That he, Romans 11 says, not only did he cut away and grafted in the Gentiles, he said, we better be careful because he'll cut us away and he's going to bring back his people It'll be Jew and Gentile. I'm not Messianic. It's not what I am. People say, you're Messianic Jew, ain't you? No, I mean Messianic Christian. No, I'm not that. Because there are people who are trying to be Jews. I'm not trying to be Jews. I'm trying to be what Abraham's children are, what the Bible and what the gospel that the the prophets preached. It isn't Judaism. They didn't preach and teach Judaism. The true importance of a thoroughly familiar, deeply meaningful metaphor of knocking at the door. It's great, wonderful. I get it and all that, but it's just wrong. And it has robbed us of knowing the perspective and the truth of what that's really happening and what's really happening at that knocking of the door. When the prospective bridegroom makes his first official move, what he does is he he would do is he would bring his daddy to the intended bride's house. Something I never did. Hey, daddy, I want to go see so and so. You want to go with me? Did you ever do that? That's what I thought. They carried a cup called the betrothal cup, and they carried wine with them, and they carried the anticipated price in a bag or a pouch. I want to know why my son in laws didn't pay me (laughs) because that's a scriptural way I should be owed from two guys. If I'd have known that, I'd have had more daughters. They get there, and they knock on the door, and the father would be on the other side of the door. But before the door opened, he would peek through that little window and identify the visitors. And then he took his daughter to confirm what, in most cases, she had long settled in her own mind. So I come with my daddy. I got the wine. I got the betrothal cup, and I got the money it's going to cost to pay for her. And it usually is the price that he gets reimbursed for how much it costs to raise her. Now, that's a wedding right there. Take her. <laughs> we knock on the door. The bride to be is on the inside. Their father looks out. All right, this is who it is. It's Joel and his daddy. Don't answer the door. Don't answer the door. Wait a minute, it's Johnny. Open that door. <laughs> Open the door. I can't even see you back there. If the bride said, yeah, then for all practical purposes, that commitment to work through that process of betrothing and arrive at a fully functional marriage, it, be- it began right there. They weren't married yet. Behold, he stands at the door and knocks. But yet, they're not married yet. If she said yes, then they said, okay, let's make the deal. It wasn't a decision, for the issue wasn't, can we have a wedding Is that, no, once the door was open, the only remaining question was we can have a marriage if we can work out the terms. So what are the terms going to be? Oh, hear me. What are you talking about, Johnny? I'm telling you the way the Bible teaches that you become the bride of Christ or you ultimately get your, get your well done or get saved, you know, saved by things. I'm saved. No, you're not. Nobody's saved yet. Salvation is a process. And there's a million ways. I'm exaggerating a little bit. And there's different ways that the Bible teaches us how. And I'm just giving you one because we're talking about corporate a people, a bride. Opening the door is just the first major step toward making the marriage. And that's what, precisely what Yeshua is saying. You open the door. He comes in. And guess what happens? The salvation slash reconciliation slash uh, restoration process now begins. Many people through repentance or whatever, they open the door. Some of them don't like like the terms. but It's just a major step. So guess what? Okay, we've accepted Christ to be our soon-to-be husband. Not married yet. He's asking you, will you enter into a covenant of betrothal with me? Will you walk in a loving relationship with me? And that's not the only Significant parallel here. It was the bride's choice. Just like it's your choice and my choice. If you refuse to open the door, guess what the groom does? He makes a U-turn and he goes straight back home. Even after the bride opens the door, she can end the process at any stage. She can "Yeah, I don't like that. Ain't enough money. No, I don't like the terms. I don't want it like that. In fact, the initial agreement to be married was... Was, uh, what do you call it, uh, hashed out with all this discussion. And, and I mean, and it, then it was, I mean, they, it was like making a deal and it was formalized in a written contract, a prenup, so to speak. The bride was the only one who still could back out right up to the very instant of marriage consummation. She still had the right to backslide, she still had the right to quit. She still, does, did the groom love her and want her still? It's irrelevant at this point. You hear me? Once saved, always saved. Not yet. She didn't even need a special reason. See, my experience with people who quit, they don't have a really, really a reason. I don't know. All right. This betrothal, this engagement was binding. And once that was accepted, you know that to be separate from that after that, They had to get a a writ of divorce. We're just going to break up. No, no, you're going to have to get. We already signed a contract. You got to get a right. It's got to be undone. And and you got to have proper grounds, such as Joseph and Mary in Matthew 1, verse 18, 19. You know, if the bride is found out to not be a virgin when she said she was, guess what? The contract can be broken. The young man will prepare a marriage contract. Or a covenant that he presented to the intended bride and her daddy, and included in that was the bride price. (laughs) You don't want to cut corners there. Oh. (laughs) And basically I said earlier, it was it was to compensate the parents for all they spent on raising the little girl. We'd be rich, honey. But it would always also be an expression of her father's love. So if the woman was going to accept, or the father was going to accept the proposal, they didn't just say, okay, we'll do it, or shake hands. They would pour a cup of wine for the woman, the bride, set it down, and then wait to see if she was going to drink it or not. Now, Y'all think about wine. We, have, we got real wine in the back, but we don't use it. don't know that wine back there slowly disappeared i don't know who got that (laughs) my mother my mother probably got it (laughs) the cup that she was about to drink represents what a blood covenant here we go here we go if she drank the cup means she accepted the proposal and that they were going to be betrothed then he would give her gifts and then he would go away Guess what he was going to wait for? To prepare a place. Y'all seeing what I'm talking about? In my father's house are many what? People say mansions. mansions. It's really heavenly habitat. It's when we receive a spiritual body. There's a word that's called kupa. We'll talk about it in a minute. Spell spelled C-H-U-P-P-A-H. But before leaving, he said, I'm going to prepare a place for you, and I'm going to return for you when it's ready. And so the usual practice is what this guy would do. He would go back with his father to his father's house. And he would build a honeymoon room in the house. It's called a koopa or a canopy. A lot of cultures did that. And he was not allowed to be skimpy or do a cheap thing or fake stuff. He, had, he wasn't allowed to do that. And bef- his father had to approve before of this koopa and his place that's prepared before he consider it ready for the woman he was going to go get. When they asked when he was going to go get his bride, listen to what he said. I don't know. Only my father knows. I had lunch one day, uh, about a year ago, before COVID. A friend of mine who golfs up there at uh, Ocala National in the men's group, he and his wife came to visit. We went out to lunch afterwards, and I was telling her, we were talking about, you know, Yeshua and his relationship to Yahweh and all that kind of stuff. And uh, I said, well, I think Yeshua, of course he's God, just like we've been invited to be God. But the fact is, you know, do you believe that to be God you have to be all-knowing? When I say God, I mean uncreated. And she said, of course, God is all-knowing, all-powerful, and all uh, everywhere. I said, well, do you know the Bible says that Yahshua don't even know that the day he's coming back. Where did it say that at? So we had that discussion. Of course, some people who are really hungry for God, they would maybe pursue that, but these people weren't really that interested. And that's fine. But you have this parallel. He don't know when the father's going to say for him to come get his bride. And in the analogy and the culture and the marriage system that God established then was for us to know how it's going to happen with the true bride. Guess what? That, that husband or the, the betrothed man didn't know either. So what does the bride do all this time? While she's waiting, she makes herself ready. Please hear me today. So she will be pure and a beautiful and beautiful for her bridegroom. She would, even when she went out of her house, she would wear a veil to show that she was spoken for and to show this, look, I'm not up for sale. I am not available for I have been bought with a price. Can y'all hear what God is trying to show us in that Hebrew marriage and in marriage in house number two? He's trying to make it clear to us what house number three and how we as the bride who is betrothed should be. And that's the pattern, not something you just make up. Unless you're going to stay like rich young ruler and just stay friends. I'm a servant. and Keep all your commandments. I wear a veil. I'm spoken for, Mr. World. I've been bought with a price. I am no longer my own. Who preaches that anymore? I tell you how to be happy, how to get your way, get the most out of your life. The Bible says the only way that you can be happy is to lose your life. The only way you can be happy is to be who and what God created you to be, and that is you were created by God for his pleasure. If you get there, if you get here, I'm going to tell you what, what you're going through will turn to joy. But you can't be betrothed to Yeshua and keep sleeping with the world. All right, wedding time, wedding time. How much time I got? Oh, my God. Man, I got plenty of time. When the wedding chamber was ready, son, go get her problem is the bride didn't know the bride didn't know when he was coming so guess what she was had to do huh just stay ready all the time you know i'm gonna go out with billy i'm gonna go have a date with billy so what the bride did she kept a lamp she kept her veil and she kept her other things beside her bed Now, her bridesmaids were also waiting, and they had to have oil ready for their lamps too. Now, when the groom and his friends got close to the house, y'all know the story, they would give a shout, they would blow the shofar to let her know, all right, now you need to get your stuff together. Get your stuff together, people. you all hear what Yahweh's saying to us. Get your stuff together, and that's as nice as I'm going to say it today. We need to get it together and prepare ourselves. When that wedding party f- arrived at the bride's father's house, excuse me, the, 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 the betrothed father's house, then they went into that wedding chamber at Koopa, Koopa Cabana. No, no kidding. Sorry. And they had a seven-day honeymoon, and the groom's best man stood outside waiting for the groom to tell him the marriage is consummated. <laughs> I could get what I would think was really funny with that whole scenario. But I'm going to stay serious this morning. We have consummated the marriage. The proof of that was a bedsheet bearing the shed, the blood shed by the bride of her first sexual intercourse. And that's notable for two reasons. Number one, it speaks of purity before marriage. But it also shows blood covenant. See, everybody thinks that the blood covenant is all about Jesus dying on the cross and it really is but it's got to relate in our hearts and ring true in us about the whole process because it's it's the blood covenant it is the is the purity that we have with our betrothed in waiting on him that we remain chaste and white without spot or wrinkled all these friends once they see this binding covenant they start celebrating for the 7 days that the couple are honeymooning. Man, you're talking about a party. Why? What did y'all do? Y'all did one day? One day y'all did? We didn't come to your house and, and just have a party for seven days? I don't blame you. When that couple emerged, there would be congratulations, and guess what would happen? The marriage supper would begin. It's a whole new meaning to Yahshua, preparing a place for us, as well as taking the cup unworthily. The Bible talks about communion. It says, don't take that unworthily. Unworthily. What? Is, you're talking about. You know how many people have gone over there over the years and taken of that unworthily? They're not staying chaste before God. They're not trying to stay pure before God. They're just all in the world and living in the world. And yet they're gonna to try to have a blood covenant. Once the initial purpose has been made and it's been accepted, the groom was utterly and totally committed. And he can never break out except for extreme limited reasons. Now let's compare that betrothal covenant between not me and Yahshua, but us. you got to quit saying me. You hear me? Hello? Quit saying me. Myself and I. It's us. It's us. We are the bride of Christ. We are the new Jerusalem coming down. Opening the door is, is when we come and we Allow Him to come in as our Redeemer, as the one that reconciles us back to God. Do you know that the reason that Yahshua reconciles us back to God, not because Yahweh is going to change the way that He says, thinks about sin, but it's to change you. You'll hear me. you all hear me. So everybody thinks Yahweh, well, he, don't, he knows you can't live for, for him. You're just weak human. You can't live for him. So he changes the way he, he's changed the way he looks at sin. No. Reconciliation is for you to change. It's you having you a chance to change. Because well, God ain't gonna change the way he looks at sin. That's good preaching right there. Hallelujah. Help me, Connie. Uh, it's the first step. Open the door. Open the door. If we decide to go a little further than just open the door, we might even be able to establish and maintain the servant covenant. Okay, I'm gonna serve him. I'm gonna serve him. I got a blood covenant. Got a, a friendship covenant here. Becoming the actual bride of Yeshua requires a committed, intimate relationship with Him that goes well beyond all the preliminaries? How many of us are willing to separate or distance ourselves from those things that are not pleasing to God? That's the question I have for us today, not me. Of course, I have to do it individually, but it's for the corporate purpose also. I know many people who desire to take the betrothal step, and they can still back out at any time, and they did back out and have backed out. I see it happen all the time. It's, 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 it's everywhere. People do it in the natural marriage, and they do it in the true marriage. Well, I got through that quicker, than I thought I did. God bless you all. Thanks for watching today. I know it was just kind of a little information sermon, if that's what you want to call